If you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, open up, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to be in verses uh, 14 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue pewback Bible in front of you. If you don't own one, take that home with you as a gift from us to you. There's nothing more important than your time in the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what, the, what is the depth, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. According to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we praise you today for the word of God. We praise you that in your love, in our most helpless state, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you sent your son Jesus. Lord, and in doing so, you did so before the, fo- the foundation of the world. And Lord, as a, as a gift in your resurrection, Lord, as a gift through the helper, your Holy Spirit, Lord, through the, through the prophets and the apostles, Lord, you have granted us your full revelation. The revelation of you, the revelation that is without error. And so today we set under the truth that it is. Lord, I ask today, love above all things, that you would sanctify us in truth. And as Jesus said in John 17, your word is truth. So, Father, today I ask that you come beside us, Lord, through the ministry of your spirit. And that through the word of God, Lord, you may penetrate every heart today. That you may tear down walls that exist, maybe walls that have existed for years, Lord, you may tear down. Father, we love you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So once again, in the very first first couple of scriptures here, we we see the Apostle Paul give us another name, For the body of Christ, the church. And that name is what? A family. A 
family. He's called it the body of Christ. He's called it the household of God. He's called it a holy temple. And today it's a family in which he praises the work of the Father. I hope above all things that when you gather up here on a Sunday morning, that you gather up as if you're going to be with your family. Because that is how I view you. I love you, and I pray that you see this truth. The Apostle Paul proclaims, for this reason. I love how he uses that. That's the second time in this chapter that he's used that expression, for this reason, pointing back to something else, right? Paul proclaims, this is the second time that he makes this phrase. And he's pointing back, if you haven't been with us through this entire study, he's pointing back to a lot of things that he said in chapters 1 and 2. The first thing he's pointing back to is his reason for writing, his reason for proclaiming the gospel, his reason for praising the King of kings and Lord of lords, Christ Jesus, his reason for being in prison, his reason for everything, and the reason that you exist today is to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. This is the reason that Paul gives. It is his reason. It is his identity. It is his very life. For this reason today, Christ drives him to his knees for people that he dearly loves. Don't you love that? For this reason, he says, I bow my knees before the Father. Paul's prayer here drives him to his knees. And what's in, this terminology here that he uses is interesting. It's not foreign to the Old Testament or New Testament, but it is foreign to the way most Jewish men prayed. Most Jew, Jewish men prayed with their standing, with their heads pointing to the heavens. But Paul intentionally puts on display something different here in his posture, right? It's, it's, a, it's a posture of reverence, more intentionality in his prayer. Now, we do see this type of posture throughout the scriptures. The psalmist writes in Psalm 95, he says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Bowing and kneeling have long been associated with worship and reverence. In fact, the Hebrew word for worship is actually bow down. So for Paul, this truth, this beauty of the mystery of God in Christ, it brings him to worship. It brings him to prayer. It brings him to his knees. And how does he pray? What do we see there? He says that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being. His prayer begins as every prayer should. 
the glory of the Father. The glory of God, the center of our thoughts and of our mind should be centered on one thing, church, and that's God's glory. It should be the way we live, the way we make everyday decisions, the way that we parent our children, the way that we love our spouse. The glory of God must be put on display. It should be our prayer as we rise in the morning. It should be your prayer as you lay your head down at night. It's the reason that you were created. Do you realize that? You were created to put on display his glory. It's the only reason. To put on display his glory. It's the reason that you have breath in your lungs is for his glory. As far as prayer is concerned, it should be the first proclamation that we return to the Father. Jesus modeled this really, really well when he was teaching his disciples to pray in Matthew 6. And what's interesting, we studied this in our men's, men's study as we were catching back up to the women during the study. We also studied it during the youth. And we went through all of these and looked at them. And they're so significant in the model in which Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew 6. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. <coughs> your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive also you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. A little side note on that, which is really, really interesting, is that Parents, it's really, really important that you understand that you hiding the Word of God in your, your children's heart is good work because that verse is one that echoes in my mind from as early as I can remember before I even knew the Lord in the King James, right? It was, I, I learned it originally in the King James Version, and it's still there. So when I read it, I have to like correct myself every single time because I go back to the way that it was taught to me probably at two or three years old, right? In like Sunday school when I was, when I was five or six years old, that verse was ingrained. And guess what? It's still there. So never lose sight on a side note. Different, different sermon for a different day of the importance of wrapping your house, wrapping your home, wrapping your kids' hearts with the Word of God, and at the right time, the Spirit of God will set it aflame. Paul says, hallowed be your name, that your name would be hallowed. The glory of God, His holiness, His renown should be the alignment of our hearts and our minds before our Father in prayer. It's not about us, but about him and his glory. And Paul demonstrates this for us today. Before he prays for specific things, he points to the glory, the riches 
of the glory. Let's take a look at Paul's prayer in detail. He says in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul's proclamation of holiness and the glory of God is the source of his strength. This glory Paul proclaims in prayer for the church is the proclamation for you today as well. This opening thought of his prayer is one of deep, deep love. Can you feel it when you read this letter? The, the love and the affection that the Apostle Paul has for this body of believers jumps off the page to me. Do you see it? Do you feel it? This prayer is one of deep love, love that desires their growth, one of their sanctification, that he may grant you, grant you to be strengthened. Strengthened with what? With power. With power, church. No matter where they are in their walk, his plea is that they will do what? Grow. It will increase so that they will permeate in the depths of this glory. That is the ultimate beauty of growing in the Lord. Its depth has no bottom. Do you understand that? Like your growth in Him, you never get to a point where you, you've grown enough. It has no, it has no bottom. We never stop this strengthening and knowledge of the Lord. This is very similar to the prayer that Paul asked the Father uh, to the church at Colossae, which our men's and women's study has been looking at. In, in chapter 1, verse 9, he says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom, and understanding, growth, sanctification. This growth is for the purpose of God's glory. It's so that we learn to walk in the ways that are pleasing to Him and the ways that glorify Him. This is the purpose of our walk. But church, you'll hear me say this, and one day I might write a book, The Fears Your Pastor Has at 3 o'clock in the Morning. And one of those fears is revealed here. One of these fears, one, one, these are fears that I fear for my, my sons who are growing into young men. These are fears that I have for my daughter. These are fears that I have for you is that you truly believe that you know all that there is to know about God. Because if you get to that point, you're right in the middle of deception from the enemy. And that's a fear of mine, is that you feel like you've, you've, you've arrived It's just not biblical. 
And I know this sounds strange, but it's the reason that some of you are bored. I can't tell you how many times in the past few years alone I've heard Christians, brothers and sisters that I love, tell me that they're bored. You are bored because you are not daily plumbing the depths of His grace. You are bored because you are not seeking the knowledge that is found in His Spirit. You are bored because you are not accessing the power of the Holy Spirit. Bored? It's a fear that keeps me up at night. As you pray, your prayer should be to draw near. Your prayer should be to grow. And the only way that you grow is through the Word of God. Jesus said, sanctify them in truth. Father, your Word is truth. If there's anything outside of your daily routine in which you think you're growing in the Lord, you're being deceived. Your daily reading of Jesus calling is not enough. Find a time to spend on the Word of God. Read it. Meditate on it. Pray on it. Walk with the Father. Grow to know Him more. Be filled with the knowledge of the author of life. Paul prays that according to the riches of the glory of Christ, that they may be granted strength with power. With power. Power through His Holy Spirit. To their innermost being. You see what he says there? In their inner being. I remember a gospel track going up, growing up. That was called My Heart, Christ Home. Anybody remember that? Can you go back and remember that sitting on the table at the, the old church that you grew up in? I can almost remember what the, what the picture was on it, but I don't My Heart, Christ Home. In our language as Christians, especially when attempting to explain the indwelling spirit to our children, we frequently use language like, Have you asked Christ? into your heart or is Jesus in your heart it's a common Christian idea it has such a common place in our culture and of course I think that it sends some, perhaps sometimes the wrong message it's another sermon for another day it's astonishing though to me that this is the only place in the scriptures in which it's written about Christ dwelling in our hearts it's the only place. While I believe that it's a super confusing idea for us to place before our kids about Jesus in our hearts, I think, it's, I think it creates many more, many more problems than it actually solves. It does point to a complete dwelling of the Spirit of God. The heart is that the spiritual part. So when you see the word heart written in the Scriptures, it's really, really important to always understand that 
that, that illustration, that word heart, is pointing to something significant. And so when you see the word heart in the scriptures, it's pointing to the spiritual part of us, where our emotions and our desires dwell, right? This is what's intended when it's used in scripture. Paul's prayer here is that Christ would be at the very center of their life. And he would be at the very center of your life. So I ask you, if we're being super reflective here, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, and I want you to think about it. With an honest reflection Is Christ at the center of your life or something else? What is at the center of your life? What shapes your priorities? What shapes your worldview? I think it's a very, very important question. And I think it's a question that we don't talk to each other enough about because we all walk through our days many times independently And we make all types of decisions throughout our day. We make decisions on how we're going to spend our money. We make decisions on on things that we're going to um, do with our families. We We make all types of decisions throughout the day. What is at the center of that decision? I know for some of you raising young kids, like, you're so busy, you're like, I don't know what's at the center because... I haven't slept in a few days, right? What's at the center of your life? Paul gives us a beautiful example of the gospel here. He says, verse 17, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through what? Through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. It's a picture of the gospel message. Our salvation is through faith alone. This is one of the overarching themes of this letter, right? Faith alone, grace alone. That you are fully justified. That you may be strengthened. I love this part. That he may, in verse 16 that according to the riches of of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the what? All the fullness of God. That doesn't sound like a bored life, does it? That you may be strengthened. Strengthened where? He says in your heart, your entire being. Why are they being strengthened? Why the indwelling of the Spirit? I love that he uses the word rooted and grounded there, right? It's this, I, this, this, this agricultural term, right, of, 
of this, of rooted. Like there's that, there's that foundation. There's the importance of the soil. There's so, I mean, that one verse right there will preach, right? That you might be rooted and grounded in what? In love. Rooted and grounded, firmly planted. This is that picture of that assurance of your salvation, your assurance of his glory, which is his love. He is asking that those who have been rooted and grounded in the love of God to not be fruitless. To not be fruitless, but to have the power to accomplish all that God wills in your life. Paul is praying that, they're under, that our understanding will be able to penetrate one of the great mysteries of our life, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the faith. <coughs> it's not enough that we understand God to be loving, and it's not enough that we understand a love that belongs to Christ. We must understand that it is fully encompassing in our life. It's not just a psychological knowledge. It's not just a head knowledge. And that's the reason that he uses the word heart. It encompasses everything about you. It fully indwells you. We must understand the divine power of the Holy Spirit. Paul prays here. You can hear the pleading, right? You can hear him pleading before the Lord here. Remember, he's chained to a Roman guard while doing this. He pleads with the Father in prayer. And it's profound to me. Look at verse 19 again. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with, with all the what? The fullness of God. That sounds incredible, doesn't it? He wants believers to be able to understand the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of Christ. I have another question for you. Do you want everything that God has made available to you through Christ? Or have you ever asked yourself that? Do you want everything that God has made available to you through the work of the cross? If we are going to achieve what Christ says is true freedom in Him... This knowledge must move beyond our head and into our heart, which is our what? Entire being. But the question is how? And he gives it there. Through the power of the Spirit of Christ, we must be filled with the love of Christ, a love that surpasses knowledge and understanding so that we may comprehend the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, the bottomless depths of the grace of our Lord. Is this the pursuit of your life? 
Do you desire to know the Lord Jesus in the depth that Paul prays for the church here? Or are you okay with just the basic information of the faith? Is your life built on knowledge or faith? That's a hard question. As I've told you before, one of my greatest sin natures is that my build my life and I build my, my, I build my decisions based on my experience. I put God on the shelf and say, God, I've done this before. I know what to do. I know what's next. I know how this plays out if I do this and this and this. That's sin. That's sin. And I constantly have to be repentant of it. Because I believe sometimes that I know what's best, not asking Christ what he thinks it should be. It's a very different way to live your life. I believe this is the root of what plagues the church. For many, whether you say it openly or not, you are okay with the basic knowledge of the faith. You are comfortable with just passing through and going through the motions. For most, most people who claim to be Christians, your pursuit of sanctification is a very low on your priority list. But Paul's prayer here, his pleading is more, that they would walk in more, that you would know more, that you would desire to, to push back the head knowledge and that you would dwell in the depths and the plums of Christ's love and grace. Do you see the prayer? What a beautiful prayer for someone to pray over you, right? He's pleading with the Lord. Is that they walk in more. That's my prayer for you today as well. That you would walk in more. That you would desire more. That you would pursue the depths of His grace daily. Walk in it, church. Swim in it. And it will become your life. Do you know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge? What's cool about this is that that's the starting point of this fullness. That's the starting point. Right? When, we're, when we surrender our life to Christ and we're born again in Him, we're fully justified before the Father. Christ makes us a new creation in Him. We are granted His righteousness because of His work. That's the starting point, Right? And then we dig and we dive and we walk and we fellowship in it deeper and deeper. We do so with the other saints sitting to your left and your right. There's more. Verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We have talked about this before in this letter, but it's on display here again. 
Paul is unable to contain himself in this letter. His love for the glory of God, his love for the work of Christ, his love for the Gentiles, his love burst out of this letter. And you can feel it. His love for the good news. Because he walks as one who is redeemed. We talked about this last week. Paul understood the depths of his deadness. He openly opposed the work of Christ. He approved as Christians were martyred in front of him. He understood the depth of his deadness before knowing Christ. He understood being separated from the love of God due to his sin and his sin nature. In his sin, in his brokenness, God sent his son Jesus who lived a life that we could not live and died the death that you and I deserve. Why? Because of love. Because of the glory of God. Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection changed everything. You'll hear me say this over and over again. You'll hear me say it coming on Easter Sunday. The resurrection of Christ is the greatest day in human history because everything changed. No longer was the curse the end of the story, but restoration was. And Paul understood this. And, the, and you can feel it in this heart of his letter, right? Like he so desires that the church at Ephesus would walk in this hope that he walks in daily. That they would be strengthened that they would have the strength to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. So today I ask you, when thinking about this and thinking about those questions I gave you, do you know this Jesus that Paul proclaims? Do you have a desire to know him in this depth? Do you know him personally, or do you just have a head knowledge of him? Do you have a relationship with him? Have you placed your faith in him? Have you been saved from your deadness? All that it takes for you to believe, all that it takes for you is to believe in the Lord Jesus and understand that the cross was sufficient this salvation, this regeneration. Remember, we're created in the image of God. And in our regeneration, we're created in the glory of God. We have a new identity, church. We are not our old self. This felt emotion from Paul's letter here. He understood the depth and the love, and it moved him. And it moved him to what? It moves him to praise. It moves him to worship. It moves him to prayer. And it should move you as well. I don't know how every hand in the room, and I know this makes some of you super uncomfortable because maybe the way you've been, you've grown up or whatever. I don't know how every hand in the room isn't reaching as high as they possibly can when we sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I don't know how our hands are not just through the roof. 
I don't know how we're not singing at the top of our lungs, church. It should move you to an emotional state, a physical state, a spiritual state, because you understand that this is what the angels are doing before the throne. And we will have an opportunity to do it one day as well. Stop sitting on your hands. Sing to the King of Kings because He is worthy of our praise. Here Paul breaks into a song of praise or what we may know also as a doxology, ascribing the glory of God. This emotion and love for the church, his love for Christ, is overflowing out of the apostle here. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or all that we think, according to the power at at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Notice once again, as we talked about before, Paul ascribes glory to the one who is worthy, who is worthy of our worship, who is worthy of our pursuit. He's worthy, church. Paul gives us a string of modifiers here, a statement of excess. Do you see that? Like that sentence, I'm not sure that it would pass Miss Shastella's English class. He is able to do far more than that abundantly that all that we ask for think. This is what you call a statement of excess, right? But not excessive. But not excessive. It is not an overstatement. How do we articulate the indescribable power of God. The ability of God to do whatsoever He pleases to do. And Paul does it as saying, He is able to do far more than abundantly than all that we ask for or think. Paul's saying, I don't even have the words, right? I don't even have the words to ascribe to the worth of Christ here. I don't even have the words. What Paul is pointing out in this doxology is that we haven't even tipped the iceberg or grasped what God is able to accomplish, not even the tip. Church, not only can God do more than we ask Him to do, but He can even do so much more than we can even think possible. This is the thinly veiled hint of the incomprehensible work of God the Father. That God's greatness so far transcends our ability to even conceive. So incomprehensible. Paul doesn't even have the ability to fully describe it. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? He says God does it according to the power at work within us. Paul keeps coming back to that theme and to this letter. The power by which God creates the universe and displays his operations in all the realm of creation and nature is the same power that God has caused to indwell the believer. And you know what else? It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. 
the power that dwells within you as a believer. Church, we are indwelled with a spirit, a power to work in ways that we cannot fathom or imagine. Church, I ask you to chew on this, to pray on this truth. Do you walk in this power, this knowledge? Paul continues with his song of praise there in verse 21. And it's beautiful. To him be the glory and all. Gene, you think y'all can sing that real quick when we're done? Just not even, not even practice it. To him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'm joking. You don't have to do that. But we've already seen that the focal point of Paul's letter underscores the riches of God's grace. We might say that the secondary pattern of the epistle is Paul's expression of the church. What is her mission? And it's simple. The mission of the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, the household of the saints, the family of God, her mission is simple, and it's the glory of God. To put on display the glory of God in every corner of the expanse of the universe. Remember we talked about last week, our, dis, our responsibility as the church is to put on display the glory of God to the angels even. There's so much more at play here. This is one of these statements in the New Testament that we could easily slip over. We know that we're supposed to glorify God, but we need to pause for a moment. We need to understand that while all of life, all of the life of the church is to be done in the glory of God, there's a specific manner in which we're to do it. And we do it through our worship. And our worship is all-encompassing of the way that we live. Worship is not just us singing songs. Worshiping is, is the way that you work on a daily basis. It's the way that you pray without ceasing. It's the way that you interact with your coworkers. It's the conversation with, with the customer that is super frustrating. That is your worship. It's the time that you read the Word of God. It's the time that you interact with your family. All of these are worship. It's so much more, church. The primary function of worship in the church is to ascribe the glory and honor and reverence of God in every corner of your heart. This, is, this must be important to us. Are, your, are there things that we do in our worship here on Sunday morning that are man-centered or God-centered? Those are, the things that, those are the things that, another thing, keep you up at night, right? Are the things that we do on a Sunday morning out of convenience or for the renown of our Lord Jesus? Are the things that we do on our daily basis as we work, are they for our comfort or in our good or for the renown of our Savior? Because if it's about our man-centered comfort, 
We need to raise that window right there and throw it out there in the snow. Our primary purpose for gathering today is to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, the glory, the honor, the reverence of Him. I pray that this letter to the church at Ephesus has been edifying for your spiritual walk. I pray that you're growing in understanding of who the body of Christ is. I pray that it's causing you to live differently. I pray that it is moving you to a deeper love for one another. I pray that it is growing you in your understanding of the love of Christ. I pray above all things that you're you're understanding the importance of the gathering church. I pray that you're seeing that church was God-ordained before the foundation of the world. I pray that you see that we, His church, His people, His household, exist for the glory of God and Him alone. I'll close one more time with the doxology before I pray. And you can read it with me if you want. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.